0: Well, shalom. Uh, It is already uh, middle of September, and we're heading towards December really fast. 2014 is coming to an end. Can you believe it? It totally feels like we just started yesterday, right? Yeah. I'm really excited to just share uh, a word that's been mulling over my heart all week. Uh, To be honest, I've been a little bit busy. Uh, My two girls have been sick and so I've been a housemaid for the last, uh, handful of days, uh, trying to nurse each one of them and also to keep them company. Uh, So I'm a little tired, so, uh, be sure to draw the energy out of me as I preach. I feel, I feel the joy and the grace injecting, uh, this entire week, um, as I was teaching my students, uh, but today I wanna just, I wanna burst. I wanna go for it. So if you could, as you listen, please draw that out in the spirit, amen? Uh, so I was kind of parking my car, over here, we have an agreement with the, the guys downstairs that uh, if we park there, they'll give us a little bit of a discount as as um, we are attendants of the eighth floor. And um, the worker there, I was trying to explain to him, you know, look, um, during the day, there's this owner. He says that, you know, we can park here in the church we, because we are here. You can give us a discount. He's like, well, I, don't, I have no idea what about you're talking about. And he's like, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, the rate is three thousand one an hour. And so I'm like, oh. Usually they give us like half of that. And he's like, you know, it's kind of like, he didn't want to do anything about it. And so he's like, all right, let me call the owner. And then he finally calls. And then he asks, there's this guy here. He's saying he's from the church. He's asking for a discount. Uh, anyways, he talks. Then I speak with the owner. And the owner's like, okay, okay, okay. So you're asking for a discount? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, okay, we hang up. And I look at the guy. I said, oh, you, you know, so I spoke with the lady. Is it okay? And then he looks at me dead, dead straight in the eye and goes, Uh, In other words, what business is that to me? What's that to me? And then in my mind, I was thinking, uh, you work here, and this is what you do in this moment. And uh, that moment, as I was taking the elevator up, obviously, I was taking the high road (laughs) in this situation. But it kind of made me think, like, God is really challenging me. I think many times, we as Christian leaders uh, in the church... That's what we do. Like, as workers, servants, and sons of the house, we kind of take our roles of stewardship and say, what's that got to do with me? Like, that person's suffering, that's, what's that got to do with me? Like, really, if we really came down to it, what's that person's life got to do with me? I'm too tired for that. Even as CG leaders or pastors and, and future leaders... There's going to be a temptation. We're like, what's that got to do with me? And what God was challenging me as I was coming up the elevator was, uh, there are people in this world who are not taking their authority. They're not taking ownership of the places that they've been called to steward. Whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in the church. Our attitude for many of us is, what's that got to do with me? And so uh, I wanted us to be challenged tonight with that small little episode that I faced. But tonight I wanted to talk about something specific about discipleship. And I want us to consider the cost of discipleship. Before Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and gave his all, what is the cost of discipleship? And what is true discipleship to you? Okay, right now in your life, in your season right now. And whatever, I guess, answer you're thinking about, Uh, And whatever I'm going to share today, I do want to give this blanket statement. And that discipleship begins and ends with this response, with our response to his invitation. And what was that invitation? The simple invitation of follow me. If you look throughout the Gospels, Jesus' first invitation to the disciples was follow me. That was it. Nothing more, nothing less. Follow me. Discipleship is about following Jesus. His leadership is supreme. And it's everything that we find value in. Our purpose in life, aside from worshipping and loving Him, is making sure we follow Him well. Now, if I was to change the word discipleship and I had to come up with something more descriptive, I would say followership. I would say that would be more accurate for me. What followership do you have right now with Jesus? The second question I want to challenge that God really challenged me tonight and throughout this week is How well are you following me? How well are you following his lead? Are you a, would you say that you're a good follower? Some of us, we've packed our bags, and all of us actually have left the comfort of our homes and we've come here to follow Jesus. So, check yes, we're good. Tithe yes. Read the Bible and pray yes. Go to the community groups. Leadership meetings, services, check, check, check. Good. Sacrifice my comfort, friends, job, finances. Come on. Sydney church plant, guys, they gave up a lot. Check, check, check. Now, no matter where you think you are, whether you're a 10, or you feel like, you know what, I'm a, I'm a Paul of New Philly Buzon. I've laid it all down with joy, and the gospel is bearing fruit in my life. Whether you think you're a 5 right now, Yeah, I'm doing okay, but I'm struggling with all the sacrifices, and I'm just getting by at times. Sometimes I'm fighting for joy, or you think you're a one, and you're thinking, what on earth am I here? What is going on in my life? I'm just wasting my time. Uh, Tonight, I'm going to challenge by the power of the Holy Spirit and His Word to reconsider what is the cost of discipleship, and also to release His heart for discipleship at this hour for you. Each person's got a different journey. Each person has a different piece of paper and writing that is going on right now. You cannot compare your journey to the person next to you. And so this is something that I'm going to address a little later. So the person that came to mind as I was reading the Bible and as I was meditating on discipleship was a guy by the name of Peter, aka Kephas. Um, he's an apostle that we read. Uh, as you know, Peter wasn't the most ideal leader in the, by social standards. Actually, most of the times, many a times as we read in the Bible, he wasn't even a good follower of Jesus. He kind of boomed it many times. Uh, By trade, he was a fisherman, and therefore he had very low social status. He had perhaps a very low income, little education. Uh, The Bible says in Acts that he was a person, though he was bold and courageous, he was unschooled. Some translations say he's uneducated, untrained in scriptures. Um, and they were kind of noticing that he was just a simple, ordinary dude. Some translations say he was an ignorant man. Ignorant, simple man. Uh, he didn't have anything to boast about, little in his background. And uh, on top of that, Paul had, uh, Peter had some crazy flaws, character and personality-wise. Uh, Peter was known to be brash or speaking before he thinks. And often he would be found embarrassing himself. Uh, he was cleric in word, but timid in follow through. Uh, it was often said that he was—he had the ability to speak out loud, and uh, and that was one of the key reasons why uh, he was chosen as one of the key leaders in leadership. And it also shows that God sees the gold in people; He sees the gold in leaders, uh, not in their flaws, but also the potential. But in any case, in worldly standards, perhaps in the uh, church today. Peter isn't the, isn't the type of guy you would choose to bring about world change. Like he's probably the last dude. Like he's just this obnoxious guy, annoying guy, nag, 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 rah, 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 rah. Always in leadership meetings talking about this and that. But God did choose him. And as we know, Peter was used as a leader of amazing movement that radically, radically changed all of history and all of mankind. God chose him. And God choose to use him despite his weaknesses. Why? I don't know. That's the mystery of God. We can give some sort of theological answer. However, uh, there is an identity that Christ saw in him. We know that Peter was called the rock. Yeah, he was called the rock. He saw his identity. The rock whom he would build the church upon. And Christ simply said, just follow me. And that's where we're going to go and see the story of Peter. Jesus said, follow me. What did Peter do? Immediately he dropped his nets and followed. You know, sometimes discipleship isn't about understanding and calculating everything and having things worked out. It's simply a matter of responding to follow me. Peter was pretty broken. And even up until the period of Jesus Christ dying, uh, he made some major mistakes. He was really messed up. But his response to follow me was the biggest transformation of his life. A simple fisherman. A simple English teacher working in Puzan. teaching four year old kids who nag 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 nag. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna pick up the story if you can go to your Bibles right now to Matthew four, eighteen. So bear with me, I've got a lot of scripture to read for us, but I want to unpack, unpack this for our hearts. Just leave a little bit of room for the Holy Spirit to speak through this time. So Matthew 4, verses 18, I'm going to read through to 25, and this is when Jesus calls the first disciples. Matthew four eighteen. while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew's, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. And I'll make you what? Fishes of men. I love that uh, play of words. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers. James, the son of uh, Zebedee. And John, his brother. In the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And what did they do? Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So here we see Peter. Here we see John, their brothers, follow me. And so they did. Simple as that. And as we uh, continue in the story, Jesus goes into ministry. And these disciples are getting pumped up because they're about to see some amazing things. So he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains. Those oppressed by by demons, epileptics, and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So discipleship begins with an invitation to follow. And also begins with our response to immediately follow and to go. But here's the thing. So this is the beginning phase of discipleship. Everything is so sweet. Yeah, I've left my father. Yeah, I've left my fishing job. Yeah, I've left, I've left Seoul. Everything's cool. Yeah, we're rocking. They're following Jesus, man, laying hands, people getting healed, demons getting cast out, healing and deliverance left, right, and center. People who are like limping in the name of Jesus, they're getting healed. It's so easy. Ministry is so good. And the Bible says that fame is arising like crazy all over this region. People are hearing about Jesus. They're probably hearing about Peter and John. And they're thinking, man, ministry is great right now. Discipleship, yeah, man, this is is where it's happening. Verses 23 to 25, revival is breaking out. So in their mind, they're thinking, this dude is it. He is the Messiah. And as you know, the messianic understanding of the Jews was that he was going to bring this kingdom, right? A kingdom that will be established in the order of David. So in Peter's mind, he's thinking, this is it. This is it. Jesus is going to smash every demon in in our way, destroy the Romans, capture this entire region, and we're going to establish a king that was greater than David. In the name of Jesus. But also in the back of Peter's mind, and as you read through the Gospels, a lot of them were thinking about, what's my part in the kingdom? If you guys remember in the story, they started bickering. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? Who will be the right hand? Who will be sitting at the right hand of Jesus in this kingdom? And so Peter, he was thinking, this is it. I'm going to be the right hand poncho. Because later on, Peter gets called out as a leader, as you know. This is it. Following Jesus is good. Miracle after miracle. We can do this. So let's jump to Matthew 16. So, discipleship begins with this excitement. And it did for many of us, right? We first encounter, we had this really difficult past. We have this radical encounter. Holy Spirit just shows up. We get smashed. We're like speaking in 50 different types of tongues. We're laying hands on the missions trips. People are getting slain. It's an amazing beginning. Jump to Matthew 6, 13. And this is where Peter confesses. Probably one of the most powerful confessions he will make. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others... Jeremiah or one of the prophets, and he said to them, "But who do you say that I am so he 's looking at Peter right now, Peter, who do you say I am Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the son of the living God okay in this moment this is a, this is an amazing moment for Peter he makes uh, not just a confession where of it's a spiritual awakening for him the father the the Father God, the Father, is revealing this revelation to him as he speaks it forth. And Jesus answered him, "'Blessed are you, Simon Bajona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven.'" And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. So not only was Jesus' leadership being revealed among the nation. But he was also establishing leadership. He's saying, Peter, you're going to be one of my leaders. You're going to be one of my head poncho dudes. I'm raising you up. Whatever you loose on earth, it's going to be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bound... On earth, it's going to be bound in heaven too. He's declaring might and power over this man. Then all of a sudden, Jesus does this. Peter's all excited. He's all happy. Everything looks like it's happening according to plan. The Messiah is going to take over the world. And I'm going to be this poncho dude. And Jesus begins to talk about something else. Verses 21. 21. He shares with Peter and all the disciples. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside. What did he do? He began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to me. I mean you. But he said, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So you can see Peter starting to freak out. What? We're raising the dead, healing, healing people. You dying? That's not part of the plan. What? We're going to lose the kingdom? What's going to happen to my kingdom? What's going to happen to my position? And he begins to freak out. I guess in our terminology, to turn into the flesh, to go into the flesh. And his mind began to process and to begin to think about all the things that he's going to miss out. And about his kingdom that will be one day destroyed as a result of Jesus dying. And so what does he do? He begins to rebuke, rebuke God. God, you cannot do this. How dare you? How dare you die on me? So he was telling God what he can and what he could not do. And he was really upset. Almost heroic. It looks heroic. How can you do this to yourself and to me? Far be it from you, Lord, that this will happen to me. I mean you. What? No. This is meant to be the Davidic kingdom that I planned. Peter was too busy thinking about himself. His comfort and his ministry. He was considering his kingdom, even though he wasn't saying outrightly. He wasn't saying my kingdom, my comfort. But if you try to read through the read through the lines, it's kind of evident, and that's why Jesus discerning the spirit, he looks at him, and he sees the spirit of Satan. He says, "Get get behind me, Satan." You are a hindrance to me. So notice that he's not rebuking his identity. He's not rebuking who Peter is. He's rebuking the deception that is causing him to begin to speak things of the flesh. You have to understand, Peter's thinking was an antithesis to the salvation of the entire world. So Jesus says, get behind me. And he begins to rebuke the sat- Satan out of him. And what's this satanic spirit? The Bible continues to say that you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. A lot of times we think the satanic spirit is like this crazy, mind-shifting mind kind of demonic thought that's blatantly out there. But it's simply the things of man. We've been hearing sermons about the mind. All it takes is the mind to think the things of man, to be in, in line with the wrong spirit. And so we need to be aware of this. And as you know, throughout the rest of the story, Peter continues to boon it. Uh, We see in the transfiguration, Jesus is shining like the sun. Moses and Elijah comes out of nowhere and begins to talk with Jesus. What does Peter say? He "Uh, said, Lord, isn't it a good thing that we set up these tents? Um, Where are we going to sleep tonight? And his mind is thinking more about his comfort and what's going to happen without realizing he's encountering the holy God with the saints. And what does God do? He rebukes him. He comes out of the bright, bright cloud. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am pleased. Peter, listen to him. Peter's still like over here thinking about his rest, thinking about the kingdom, thinking about all these things. God comes out of the cloud and says, Peter, listen to him. Matthew 19. There's a situation with a rich young, young man. He comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, I've followed the law. I've done everything that was to be obeyed. And I feel like I'm, this is it. What more can I do? And Jesus looks straight, in, straight at him in the eye and says, Take all your riches and sell it and give it to the poor. And as you know, uh, the rich young man, he grieved because he knew that he could not do it. So, in the midst of that, Peter comes out of nowhere, and he says, Look, Jesus, look at, about, look at all the things that I have left. What is there for me? He says to Jesus. After that conversation, he says, What is left for me? And Jesus says that for those who have left their houses, their mothers and brothers, there is a great reward. And in that, he begins to correct Jesus. Your mind is not on eternal things. You are still thinking about Now, true discipleship, and a lot of times we as a church, we we contend for increase, we contend for great jobs, and and I think we should do that because, like for me, I worry about providing for my family. You know, I worry about how the next income is going to come through and how I'm going to provide for my baby girls um, and boy or boy. And and that's fine. But if that if that is where we stop, that's when our mind is is on the things of man. And the reason why I was challenged by this uh message was to recalibrate that God has something more than the temporary. He's calling our minds to look for the eternal. A lot of times we are worrying about things. That God has already taken care of, and um, our hearts are being burdened. And I'll be the first to admit, uh, one of the biggest struggles, uh, you know, while moving here, is always thinking, "How can I provide the best for my family?" And one of the verses when uh, Grace and I first got married was, uh, I invited the the pastor to preach Matthew six thirty three. And it talks about how all the fields of the, the fields of the, uh, fields of the something, and the, and the birds, can you not see how God has clothed them with such beauty? Even Solomon, in all his vast array of richness, cannot be, um, clothed in such beauty. But the Lord has provided all, right? And so He says, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. And so the challenge that I felt through this time was the challenge of the cost of discipleship. Sometimes we think, man, I'm sacrificing it all. I'm giving it all without really considering the cost. But not only considering the cost, but also realizing the reward that will come, maybe not in this lifetime, but considering the reward that will come in the next. So when we have our mindset on the the temporary mindset, We will stumble and fall. We will struggle. Man, why do I have to give up this? Why do I have to be persecuted in this way? And as we continue on in Peter's story, he's still there. He's still in that place. So Jesus, I will never leave you. Even if it's to the death. Jesus is like, well, actually, the crow is going <laughs> to let you know that you are going to deny me three times. And at that very moment when Jesus is going through the most horrendous trial of his earthly life, Peter is found sleeping. He's still in that place where he's contending with the flesh. But Jesus dies, and if you are... If you can imagine the disciples at that point, how discouraged you would be. You've banked everything on this man. You've left your your father. Probably some of them were sick and old. Probably couldn't look after themselves. Gave up their jobs. were providing for their wives. Some of them were married. They gave everything up. And now their Savior dies. It's like, what the heck, Jesus. Like, where, where, where is my reward in all of this? Where is my kingdom in all of this? And if you can imagine the despair that Peter felt, the hurt. Number one, he looked at the eyes of Jesus when he denied him three times. How hurt he felt. I'm so sorry, Jesus, for, for denying you. That shame that he felt. That, that grief and discouragement. And it is then when Jesus appears, he resurrects after the third day. And it says that Jesus spent 40 days with them. And this is an amazing time. These disciples, their identities are wrecked. They don't know what's going on. They don't know. They had this plan of a Messiah who would reestablish the kingdom. Jesus comes, spends 40 days with them, reestablishing them in identity. He says that he spent time cooking for them even on the beach just having a simple meal, just hanging out. Jesus cooks a fish and sits down with them, and begins to talk about the kingdom once again and saying, these are the things that are about to happen, the Holy Spirit's about to come. Just very basic conversation. Peter still has no idea. And Jesus looks at Peter straight in the eye and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, of course I love you. I've denied you three times, but I'm here, aren't I? I still love you. Jesus asks again, Peter, do you love me? Okay, uh, yeah, I get the point. I, I love you. The third time he asks again, Jesus, do you really love me? I mean, Peter, do you really love me? At that point, Peter was really hurt. He so, what, you don't, you don't trust me? I mean, you're God. You know my heart. You know that I love you. And what does, Peter, uh, what does Jesus say at that point? He says, feed my sheep. He says, Peter, if you really do love me, He's not saying prove it, but he is saying prove it. Isn't that ironic that Peter denies Jesus three times? But Jesus, in in all of his love, reestablishes him in that one moment. Three times he asks him, do you love me? Peter's reestablished in that moment, and he says, you will feed my sheep. And Peter gets it. Jesus begins to talk about how Peter will die. When you, when you were younger, you were unable to dress yourself. And in the same way, when you leave, it will be the same. And then Peter begins to consider what that means. And he begins to realize, I'm going to die for this cause. And he begins to reconsider, is this the cost that I want to pay? And all of a sudden, John walks past and this is kind of ironic, but he looks at John he's like, what about this guy? Jesus, what about this dude? What about... You know, I'm going to die. What about this guy? And Jesus looks straight into Peter's eye with such love and gentleness. And he says, what's that to you? What's that to you? And he says, simply, follow me. And right now, and this, this is not directed at any specific person or even our house per se, but this is a general blanketing message for the church today. The church today, we're pointing fingers and saying, what about him? Man, you've blessed him so much, God. What about that girl? She's got such an amazing job. She's fruitful. She's, she's flourishing. There's no suffering in her life. God, I'm going to die. I'm dying right now. Complaining, bickering. The Bible says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you will shine like the stars. Our complaining will kill our shining, our witness. And right now, what I felt in a very blanketed Broadway was a challenge of discipleship for me and for our house and for the church as it stands. We contend for increase. We contend that God will provide. And that's great. I think we should. I mean, that's, that's God's character. But what if, what, if, what if he doesn't give it to you? What if you're a missionary in the middle of Iraq and he says, follow me? He says, follow me and proclaim the gospel. There's no car. There's no safety for your family. There's only but death. Okay, maybe, maybe there's some survival chances. But what about those missionaries who say, I will follow you? What if you do not get every prayer that you have been praying for? Will you still follow him? And the question is, is he still worth it to you? Let me let me take it back to a little bit more personal. Maybe maybe it's not as big big of a thing. What if you don't like your job? What if you don't like the people that you work with? What if you don't even like this church? And God is saying, Follow me. Like really? And God is, Jesus is saying, am I worth it? What if you get no reward here on earth by the things that you do for this house? Will you still follow me? Am I still worth it? Like, when we first came to accept Jesus Christ, and we said yes to him, uh, and we had such a zeal for him, man, it it was good, it was easy, but when the road, rubber begins to meet the road, and we have Jesus take our plans and just, like, destroy it. And the reason why I'm crying is because I'm really challenged by this message. And I shouldn't be. I'm I'm not I mean I I love Busan. It's just kind of I'm not I'm healthy, I I eat. I have an amazing family. I love this church is amazing. But I'm grieving because If there is an ounce of complaining in my heart, I'm grieving because if there's an ounce of me that says it's not worth it, I'm grieving because I'm more concerned about my my physical well-being and my family, which is not a bad thing. If that is more important to me, I've lost my my vision. And those things are important for us, and it should be. But there's something more important. And the challenge I want to leave with you by, by his name is what is the cost that you're willing to pay? What is your response when Jesus says, follow me? The Bible makes it clear, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Your plans, denied. Your kingdom, denied. Our ministries, denied. And again, this is not meant to be a sadistic message where God won't bless us with amazing things but consider the words deny yourself and carry the cross what does the cross mean to you what crosses are you carrying today and are you willing to carry it how much is Jesus worth to you if you've got one foot in the boat of the world Still seeking comfort, still seek, seeking things that are temporary for reward, and one foot for eternal, then you're not all in. I'm not all in. Okay. Yeah, I just want us to pray tonight. I've never been undone in the middle of my message. There's a story of uh, a Welsh mi- uh, missionary in the 19th century, and he visits a village uh, in northern India called Aman, uh, sorry Assam. And it was hard. No con- converts. He gave up his family to travel all the way to India from Wales. Nothing, no fruit. And uh, thankfully... And praise be to God, uh, there was this one convert that eventually happened. But because it was so brutal and violent in that village, it was very tough for that person to remain a Christian. So by the time that uh, he and his family decided to publicly proclaim that he was a Christian, this Indian man, an Indian family, the village chief called him out, brought him out into the middle of the entire village. And he says to this Indian man and his family, I want you to recant. Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. That is not the religion you should be following. And so this man, uh, whom who does not have a name, looks straight into the eyes uh, of the chief village leader and also in the eyes of uh, these men with spears and arrows and he begins to say these words, He says, I have decided to follow Jesus, and there is no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. So the men of the village, they begin to draw their spears and their arrows. And uh, this Indian man with his family, his wife standing next to him, he had two kids. They draw their bow. They hit two of their kids and immediately the kids die. And this Indian man without flinching, looks straight at his village people, and he begins to say, the world behind me, but the cross is still before me. The world behind me, but the cross still before me. And this began to anger the village people even more. And so they begin to draw another bow. They all begin to line up this time, it was his wife. The arrow pierces straight through her, killing her immediately. And he stands his ground and says, Though no one is here to go with me, still I will follow Jesus. Though no one is here to go with me, still I will follow Jesus. And they kill him there and then. That that man dies standing for the name of Jesus. He counted the cost. He gave up his family. And the story goes, that as a result of this man, that revival broke out in that village. It was said that the, the people who murdered the converts first were the ones that came to Christ first. It was said that the entire village came to sing a song, it was turned into a hymn. a first Indian hymn called I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. So I want us to pray tonight. And I want simply for us to just consider the cost And right now, an extension of his hand that he is making to you, he says, follow me. Just follow me. It doesn't mean you'll end up in the middle of India and arrows may be shot at your family. It may or may not. But he's saying, what's that to you? He's saying, follow me. He may give you a massive increase of several sorts, give you open doors, allow you to be influential. But what's that to him? Just follow me. So I just want us to make a simple commitment before the Lord. Just like when we said, Jesus, I accept you into my life. And if you want to do that right now, with all eyes closed, I want us to just stand. If you'd like to make a recommitment to Christ, like really consider this Jesus, I want to follow you. Not out of fear, not out of emotion. No matter what it takes and costs, you are worth it. I will follow you. So take a moment just to recommit your hearts. Just lay it all down. And whenever you're ready, you can stand before Him. That's just between you and Him. It's more about the heart standing before Him. Father, we come before you and we want to behold your beauty again to see your worth. That you are worth more than any minor complaint or huge suffering that we may go through. Or any prayers that are answered or unanswered. It doesn't matter, Jesus. You're worth more. And tonight, uh, we as your people want to simply just say, yes, Lord. We want to follow you. We just ask for your help. Jesus, we want to make you known. Jesus, we want the people who are dying, destined to hell Be saved. Help us to count the costs and to pay it well. To follow you. We worship you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.